Aloha mai kako, everyone. Welcome back to the Moana Nui podcast. Uh, Happy New Year. Haoli makahiki ho for all of you who might be joining us uh, tonight. We are excited to be back um, in action with Dana and myself. Um, It's been a while since we have been able to come together. So for those who might be joining us and don't know who we are, my name is Moana. I am the founder and host of the Moana Nui podcast. I am also a children's book author for the adventures of Nakoa and Nohea, cultural champion, diversity champion, and now also a cultural consultant working on the Lilo and Stitch comic book series coming out soon and another project that I'll be announcing later this year. But we want to thank our sponsor, Papa Ola Lokahi, for providing us with this platform and the avenue and gateway to keep these conversations going for our Maoli community. But before we introduce our guests, let me hand it over to Dana so she can remind everybody who she is and all the wonderful things that she does too. Aloha, everyone. I am Dana, the other half of the Moana Nui podcast. And of course, as you hear the, the abbreviated version of everything Moana is doing, I have my own abbreviator. Of course, I'm a event planner. I am a photographer taking pictures for various and also con staff directors with MomoCon and Ranger Stop and Pop and Ranger Stop Orlando. And then a whole other list of voice acting and, and also we're so excited for tonight's episode. We're starting a new series to really help not only those that are in that are native Hawaiians, that especially those in Maui who've been impacted by the fires and everything, but especially the BIPOC community that tend to not quite understand all that gibberish that's in that contract or that online agreement that you're accepting uh, to go ahead and play this game or be on this particular application. We want to demystify those legal basics to help you understand some of the stuff to look out for. So I'm going to go ahead and hand it back over to my sis, the Ying to my Yang, the Renaissance woman of our time. <laughs> the, keep an eye out. She's going to be the children's book author of the year. I'm putting it out there. So let, I'm going to hand it over to my sis, the lovely, the beautiful Moana. <laughs> Ah, my sis. She's always uh, hyping me up. I love it. But yeah, so as Dana mentioned, we wanted to bring this new legal segment. And particularly, this was sparked in a conversation that we were having around the Maui fires. And there's so much confusion. People who are dealing with some pretty deep trauma. And then you have all of these people who are saying that they're helping, whether it's dealing with FEMA and all of the processes and bureaucracy that comes with supposed aid that's coming. But then you hear families, I just heard from my friend who's living on Maui, and they've been trying to get the FEMA assistance. And it's just been a nightmare, essentially. And they did find a house, but they're essentially paying out of pocket because the FEMA process is ridiculous. And you can only imagine how many families, I think it's still in the thousands, that are still houseless and in the meantime Maui is wide open so we wanted to talk about okay so if these are the things that are happening what do we need to help our community understand better from a legal perspective so that they can pursue action and come together to have a more powerful voice and there's a number of organizations that are doing some great work Um, But how can we continue to put more energy behind that wave and help our community for the long run, whether it is dealing with fires now or other land issues that Indigenous, our Indigenous communities face, whether it be in Hawaii or on the continent, because we are not the only Indigenous community that is a victim to this. And so we thought that this topic or this segment, because we are going to do it monthly, 
would be um, a great way to start to open up these conversations. If you are to please ask your questions because we want this to be valuable for everyone. And it will also help to shape the content as we move forward and make it relevant and useful to everybody who is tuning in. So with that said, I want to welcome back a friend of the podcast, Atita Asista Kumu Michelle Manu. Many probably know her as one of the most dangerous women out here in these streets. She is a Kumulua, which is one of our traditional cultural practices. She's also an actor. She's very big on the martial arts scene, representing for Vahine or our women out here, our women warriors. She's very outspoken about that. She does a lot of work in that space. But what some people don't know is that she is a legal professional. And I think that's an amazing accomplishment uh, amongst her yeah. other big portfolio of accomplishments to have a Kanaka Vahine, who is a, a lawyer advocating for our community and along with the, all of the other hats that she juggled. So we want to welcome Kumumanu back to the show and thank her so much for being a part of our community. Thank Hello. you. Yes. You did to me what Dana did to you. <laughs> oh my gosh, flatter me. It's crazy. I'm actually going to give you some numbers on Kanaka and part Kanaka lawyers today that are practicing, so attorneys. So it's going to be fascinating. So today I, I'm so grateful to be here. I think it's so needed. I think legal, but it is. <laughs> That's a whole other topic. Um, <laughs> But it is possible uh, to understand and navigate through the legal world. With everything in life, it takes consistency, more research, and repetition. So we don't get terrified and we, with the mysticism, surrounded by this unique language. So I have been in the legal profession for 28 years and I left litigation uh, court in 2008. And now I am strictly uh, transactional, which I really love. It's mostly business contracts. But I'm also serving uh, at this time as the uh, DPO or Data Privacy Officer uh, for EU and US for a Fortune 500. I'm also in that privacy space now, which is ever changing. And I was just talking to the Wahine before the show is that hoping, I'm hoping that one of our shows, we can talk about your brand and contract, contract law and yeah. how to retain your own image, name and likeness. Oh, as you're out there creating and working in the world. So if you are a 1099 and, double, and not a W-2, it's really important to understand what your rights are as an individual, or even if you are working under your own LLC or incorporation, you're incorporated. I'm going to give you some stats now. I, like I promised, the Kanaka are needed in law. I've said this before several times. Should, they, should we even be under U.S. law? That's a whole different topic. But we are, unfortunately, and we have to work within the current structures in which we're bound, and that is U.S. law. So Kanaka are needed. And in two, 2021, the Hawaii State Bar Association released uh, statistics, which showed that there are 5,539 attorneys in Hawaii, okay, all islands. That's a really small number. <laughs> That's a small number. But out of that 5,539, 5, Get ready. There are only 515 Hawaiian and part Hawaiian practicing attorneys. 515. We are needed in this space. Now, out of that, I'm going to tell you that Wahine are strong. 287 are Wahine and 228 are Kane. So we've got quite a representation by the women. Almost, almost equal, but not really. <laughs> so that in itself is pretty remarkable. Now, whether they are, I didn't pull stats for if they're homegrown or if they actually go to law school elsewhere and return and pass the Hawaii State Bar, but that's how many we have right now that are practicing as of 2021. Anything you'd like to add on that? Comment? That's, I mean, yeah, I am surprised. I, I want, I like to see that the women outnumber the men. Yeah. <laughs> But I do find that surprising. I tend to view the the law profession as another male-dominated space, but it it's it, it is refreshing to see that there are even though it, it's it's low in a bigger context. I think it's great to see that we do have a decent un amount of Kanaka lawyers. But ten percent. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, Dana. Anything? 
I just wonder with so many being displaced in the in the diaspora here in the continental United States, how do we represent in the continental United States as far as representation of Kanakas in the continental United States? Oh, I'd have to, I'll get back to you on that one. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Great question. Especially with the indigenous cultures, especially Native Hawaiian, but also Native Americans and things like that. It really always seems in the continent of the United States, and especially with so many being displaced here, do they really have someone they can turn to? Because a lot of times the lawyers we get don't really seem like they're in our favor and really fighting for us. So it's mm -hmm. one of those of like... How many of us out there can we reach out to that could understand what our struggle is here in the continent of the United States? Because especially so many Native Hawaiians being on the West Coast, because cost of living is so high that they have to relocate here to the continent of the United States. It, but then you got that disconnect and you're surrounded by so many people that don't relate to why you are you relocated here or why the struggles where we have both here and our family that is on the islands i'll definitely get back to you it's the aba it's the american bar association to pull the fed stats and i'll do that and provide okay. that um but you bring up a very good point i think they're not connected to our essence Mm -hmm. so many aren't connected to their essence period i think a lot of us i hate to say this have lost who we are and yes. we hear uh, erroneous stories about who our foremothers and forefathers, our kupuna, were. So it just furthers that trauma. <laughs> and so I have worked with some remarkable colleagues. And I've also worked with some real a-holes. Yeah. And, and as the individual that would be hiring someone to help me, we need to be, especially as Kanaka, very cautious on who we just sign up with. Yes. Ask questions. There are no such thing as stupid questions. You need to know that if you if you need assistance and if you need this uh, attorney to explain things to you, will this attorney be wise and uh, understanding, patient, kind, and help to understand that when you do retain the attorney, that attorney is going to have to educate you along the way. This yes. is extremely important. This is equivalent to a doctor in bedside manner, right? There's no excuse for also, what in law, too, is be careful when you look at your legal services agreement. I'm going off track with what I want to say, but it's important because if you're being charged point one versus point two five, and you send an email and they read that email, you're getting charged one quarter of their hourly rate just to read it, not even to respond, even mm -hmm. though it took 30 seconds. If you call the office, are you going to be charged at point one for six minutes or are you going to be charged for 15 minutes? This is really important to read what is placed before you. Legal services agreements, LSAs, as we call them, are um, usually five to six pages. But you really do need to take a look at them. It also sets out the requirements of how the attorney will deal with you as well. They are bound to that and will be held accountable, not just through the state bar, but also the ABA. So the legal services agreement is an important agreement that you're contracting with your attorney. This builds trust too. If you can find an attorney that is will be willing to educate you will take your calls and explain what certain terms mean or where you are in a specific process or why you need to name an, a specific expert and why that expert is important um, maybe ask for three different experts uh, that you could take a look at their qualifications and see and use your now this is the essence of us you use your now to tell you which one feels the best, right? It's not all about Western logic. It's also about our Kanaka and how we feel about things, our intuition, even when we're dealing in law, which is so finite, right, usually. So there are no, no stupid questions. And I would make a list and compile all your questions. So don't just fire off you know, like text messages to the attorney. Be professional too. And they are managing more cases than just yours. So... To me, I think if we can handle our day-to-day -day business and our relationships, our contractual relationships, our business relationships, and where we give ourselves, give our word to others, our ano, our integrity, it actually keeps us away from court. Right. It keeps us away from attorneys and it keeps us away from having to use ho'oponopono all the time on all the things, tools, right? 
So you could say this is very much my motto and under under uh, promise and overperform. And that's really what, what you want to do if you're an artist out there, a business person, an entrepreneur, or have services that you're actually delivering, whether or um, what would you say? Products. So there's services and products. So those two can, you can do both or you can do one or the other. But like this, if you keep your unknown and you're able to conduct yourself properly all the time, you have the status quo that you know that you're not going to deviate from and you're dealing, everything looks right with Moana, but everything on paper, but she doesn't feel right to me. I need to pause. I need to honor the pause and say, why doesn't it feel right? Everything looks good. Or Everything feels great. I'm so excited to work with Moana, but the contract sucks and I'm signing away my life. So those need to, that's ku and hina, mm. right? In our culture, we need to balance these things. So the way I try to do this is that I, it's the way I live my life as far as healthfulness. I don't want to go to the doctor. So I make sure that I take a supplement, I, I sleep, I'm hydrated, I'm positive. My mind creates my world. It's the same thing when we're doing business, right? Make sure you have these checkpoints in place much like our Kapuna did, right? They didn't do anything half-assed. They were in it, and the process is what made everything sacred. The process mm -hmm. of our life is like a prayer. This is our pule. So this is how we navigate. And I think, and would you like, ladies, like to say anything about that? Um, choosing an attorney, looking over the contract. Have you had to do this before? I have, and it, it gave me like two sides of the coin when I first moved to Georgia, I got rear-ended, got an attorney, and but they was like, hey, you, we need to go ahead and set. We have to settle because this is that. I don't know anything about law, and I'm thinking you're telling me what's to do. It's the best thing to do. So I'm like, okay, I'll go ahead and sign everything. They cut the check and everything. They take their portion for it. But then as I'm still dealing with stuff, I'm like, hey, this check is not equaling out everything I have to deal with. You're still trading medically. Exactly. So then fast forward to 2022, I get in a car accident, get rear-ended at a stop. And so this time I'm like, I reach out to people I know. Hey, who do you recommend for an attorney? Had a friend recommend me to the attorney I'm using right now. And they were like, hey, what we're going to do is we need you to try to complete your tra treatment. Of course, my attorney called me today. was like, hey, I'm, I, I know you're still treating, but unfortunately, Georgia law is you're going to hit your, I guess, the max time before they can. Statute of limitations. Statute of limitations. SOL, out of law. Yeah. <laughs> so he was like, you have only three more months before we... We're out outside of that statute of limitations, so we need to go ahead and file now. I know you're still treating, but we got to file now so you don't lose out. Hard. And that's a huge difference versus the other one was like, hey, we're going to have to go ahead and settle. And I think that's where a lot of us are at a loss because we don't know what to do. And we hire attorneys to help us understand, but there's a lot like my first attorney. Didn't tell me anything. Just, hey, we need to settle because he gave me some wild answer. But then when I mentioned it to this attorney, he was like, no, he should have let you finish your treatment. You were only in treat. You only been treating for five months and he had you to settle. You weren't even at the statute of limitations. It's irresponsible. It's disgusting to me to hear this. And I'm sorry, Dana, that you went through that. But it, it definitely shows me a big difference than how dependable that we have to lean in on people we know to help us find those attorneys that will represent us versus I'm just going to make a quick buck with you. Here's your check. Go about your way. Bye-bye. <laughs> it's not right. Thank you for sharing. But I think that's where a lot of people need that help of figuring out how can I find the attorney that's best for me, but also what do I do when I'm in a situation that this attorney is not helping me and I don't feel, I feel it in my, my, my soul that this is not a good fit. What can I do? And I'm stuck with, I, I'm in a situation that this attorney is not doing what I need them to be for me. Yep. So you can fire them at any point. 
They'll just uh, send what is a lien to your new attorney that's representing you. And what recommendations of like outside of just hearing the attorney that you can know, hey, this attorney is going to be a good fit for me for what I am needing their assistance on? Or is this going to be someone that is just going to be making a quick buck off of me to get their 30%, 25% out of my settlement? It's hard to know. Definitely take a look at the LSA and also ask your questions, see how they deal with you. And you need to check in with your intuition. That'll tell you if something doesn't feel right. I hate to do that because we can't quantify that. There is no checklist to know if you're going with the right individual. But if may, you can even ask for some references to speak with some former uh, clients. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you found someone better. Yeah. That sounds yeah. proper. One of our past uh, guests, Renee, if you're watching, thank you. Uh, she's the one who gave, got me connected to the attorney I have right now. And like you said, they are busy that you're not going to get constant updates, but he, he does do a monthly check-in. Hey, how's everything going with your treatment? Are you still with the same doctor or you've been seen, have to be seen by another doctor? Just get a constant updates to know where the where we are in my yep. tr treatment and what they need to gather because as soon as i finish with a doctor and they transfer me to someone else they're like all right we're sending you a form we need you to complete this so we yep. can get all our records and copies of all the billing so we can have that for the case no it's perfect they sound like a good firm yeah definitely good okay Thank you. So I think we'll go over just some basic legal terms now. I think that would be really great. Unless uh, Moana, Dana, would you like me to talk about something else? Okay. There are some words that are synonymously used. We think they're different. Sometimes they are. In action, a case or a suit are all synonymous. It's when a legal dispute of any type in any capacity, whether it's the breach of contract or wrongful termination, wrongful death, personal injury, it doesn't matter in the civil space. It's when a matter is formally brought to the court for the court to help determine liability, damages, and the outcome of it. And so this is what you'll be filing very soon, Dana, to preserve your statute of limitations within the state of Georgia. The three most common uh, types of law in the U.S. Uh, legal system is criminal, civil, and administrative. And all of these matters that we talk about fall under one of those three. The types of jurisdictions and courts are civil and criminal courts are intended to resolve disputes between people or between a person and the state or a person and a corporation, or there could be several different plaintiffs and defendants. It just depends. They're dedicated to determining whether defendants in criminal law acted or violated laws or contracts in civil, and should they be penalized. The criminal law is focused on determining whether a plaintiff is guilty, uh, excuse me, a defendant is guilty, determining penalties based on what they're accused of. Because these cases involve states exercising power against other parties sometimes, so that means that the plaintiff is actually the state. Where we see this the most is in DV cases, domestic violence, where the police are called out and it is in fact that there was some domestic violence, it could be man on woman or woman on man or same sex now. And the spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend decides not to press charges. But the situation was so egregious that the state has found that the defendant, in fact, needs to be prosecuted. So the state will actually bring the matter on behalf of, of the wife or a boyfriend, a girlfriend or husband. Um, and um, that's when the state will exercise its power on behalf of uh, as a plaintiff. Um, so the defendant must be presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. This is very important. It's also important to understand that if you're on the, in the jury box as a juror um, or you are in defense, that the plaintiff can actually throw out so much, a uh, plaintiff's def um, prosecutor can throw out so much that it can, in fact, create a a reasonable doubt. Um, and same with the defense. Of course, I don't think plaintiffs or prosecution would want to do that because they want to keep it really succinct to the laws that were broken, whereas the defense can throw anything at the wall and see if it sticks. 
But if proven guilty, the accused, the defendant, will face legal penalties from fines to imprisonment. And it's usually imprisonment. So this is where it really is, is, is different from civil court. That's usually monetary damages. Civil, they will incarcerate you and take your freedom. Is it worth it? Civil courts operate differently, obviously, than criminal courts. Instead of the takes state taking action against alleged wrongdoers, an individual or like a legal entity, so like a corporation or an LLC, can file a claim against another individual or legal entity. Civil law covers various topics from business contract disputes to personal injury claims. The purpose of these claims is to allow a party who has had their rights under law or contract violated to pursue compensation for their losses from the party that wronged them. And we see this all the time. It's even broken down into small claims, uh, limited civil, and unlimited civil. So this is all based on amount that you feel you're owed if you're filing as a plaintiff. So these are heard in different courts as well. Lastly, administrative courts operate differently than civil and criminal as they would. Is usually some type of focus of specialty to the exer to exercise or return the power or rights, such as taxation, divorce, child custody, immigration decisions, building inspections, uh, so real estate law, environmental licenses, and intellectual property, and more, much, much more. So while most other countries have a separate supreme administrative court, the U.S. does not. Administrative matters usually fall under respective branches of the civil court system in the U.S. Any comments on that, how we're broken up? Is, does something need to be clarified a little bit more? I think it makes sense. So the administrative is like a subset of civil. It's like specific okay. matters, specific civil matters. Okay. So it's usually not in state. It's usually heard federally. Federal. Okay, gotcha. For example, like families in Maui who are aggrieved, which type of law would there be and what at what level is the appropriate level for them to be bringing their case at? It would be unlimited state civil. That's where it would be. So unlimited civil uh, court, <laughs> it's in state of Hawaii. There is, I have some notes here we spoke about earlier this week. See here. So the Maui wildfire victims are fighting attempts right now to remove their cases from state court to be brought into federal court. So this is, would be really detrimental to the Kanaka at this time, requiring them to spend more resources to get to Oahu to have their cases heard. The defendants are heavy hitters with deep pockets and supporting insurance policies right now, such as Charter Communications, operating as Spectrum in Hawaii. Hawaiian Electric, and Kamehameha Schools, and there's several other defendants. But there are many issues if the federal court is given jurisdiction that will happen for Kanaka because there will be a criteria that's set on how they're able to receive compensation if compensation is found in their favor, which of course it will be because the losses are so great. So I think they're trying to combine all of these cases into one federal case right now so that all defendants can join and they can equally pay out instead of all of them being sued by thousands of Kanaka at this time and have to have individual payouts, right? And the argument of the defendants that are pushing for this is that it would uh, free up court resources, right? And to consolidate, but it wouldn't do justice for all of those that have been, that have survived. So we're closely watching this right now on what uh, the federal court determines if it will be removed from state and placed in federal. And if you would like, there is an article on Honolulu Civil Beat from December 13th um, that you can read about this. Good, good comment, Moana. Yeah, interesting, because when you, the first time you said that going to federal court in like a consolidated suit, would be detrimental. I was like, really? I would think I would think the opposite would be true, right? Like that you get like maximum impact. But is that because of like the nuances between the types of losses for each family or essentially they'll turn it into a class action suit and that's not beneficial. Uh to We'll see how it works. If it does get removed, I hope, it's my opinion, not general opinion, that the criteria to receive 
benefits, compensation for this harm is that it's not a checkbox, that it's that everyone should, of course, receive related compensation based on what they lost, but also that they don't limit the, the pain and suffering that this has caused. Gotcha. So when you're talking about setting criteria, meaning like they're putting limits on the pay yeah. ring payouts, yeah. essentially. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Did you lose a family member? You get paid more. Did, did you lose a car? Did, was your how much percentage of your home was burned? Things like that, where they can, but it should be where they're separate cases and not just something they fill out in the jury box to say they, they should receive this. But also in federal, they may move for a non-jury trial, which means it's a bench trial and only the judge will hear it. And they may in fact move for that because the emotions of this case would be too much. And of course, who hasn't been exposed to this in the world, which would, the defendants would argue that this would be an unfair trial if there were jurors, because they have seen and heard too much already, which then would, they would assign additional, emo, additional compensation for the plaintiffs who have been harmed because it's emotional. I think they would move for a bench trial. Interesting. Yeah. We were, so moving along, we were talking about statute of limitations. And this means that the law that defines, and it's different for every state, um, the maximum amount of time in which parties involved in a dispute or situation must initiate legal proceedings following the alleged offense or incident. The duration of the statute of limitations varies depending on the nature of the event or offense, and the location of the jurisdiction, like I said, the state. The law applies to both civil and criminal cases, but more serious offenses such as murder, war crimes, and terrorism often have no statute of limitations for obvious reasons. So that means if there's a breach of contract and someone hasn't paid you and you've asked them several times through email, you have documentation through mail, and they never reply to you. And it's two years and one day after. And you're like, that's it. I could use this money. I'm filing a lawsuit. You're one day too late. So these are the different types of things that we need to, um, like Dana said, you know, be aware of. When is the last day that I can file an action so that I can preserve my rights and possibly get more compensation or be rightfully compensated for what I'm going through because the defendant caused this? That is statute of limitations or SOL, as we call it in litigation. The plaintiff, or sometimes called the petitioner, depending on the type of law, is the person that is uh, suing someone else or suing a legal entity and wants the court to decide on, in, on this unresolved matter. So maybe the plaintiff tried to go to the defendant or defendants prior to filing and there was just no response or they skirted service uh, process of a letter, a demand letter, or they've just been non-responsive entirely or combative, right? You're not getting anywhere. So this is when the plaintiff or petitioner would file what we call a complaint with the court. The person responding, depending on the type of law, is the defendant or the respondent. And that's the person or legal entity that will be responding to the plaintiff or petitioner's complaint. Now, if it is legal entity is not a person, even though it has an EIN for taxes, it's its own in, in, you know, individual entity, but in court, it cannot speak for itself, right? So there has to be an attorney or an attorney of fact or attorney of power, and that is representing the defendant if it is a legal entity. The uh, form or paper that defendant or the petitioner would file would be an answer. And this answer would then have to respond to all of the claims of the plaintiff. Now, while the defendant uh, files his or her or its answer, they can actually file a counterclaim as well, stating that the plaintiff harmed the defendant. And now the defendant wants a certain compensation from the plaintiff. So now they're both at it. So this is when we have uh, the complaint and the counter-complaint. And when together you hear parties or litigants, that obviously means all parties or litigants that are named, officially named in the paperwork that's filed before the court. Now, the complaint is brought on a cause of action or several causes of actions. And what this is, a cause of action or COA, as we call it, 
is the legal grounds on which a party to a lawsuit uh, relies so that they can let, lay out their case very clearly. And uh, hopefully the jury will see that, the judge will see that. And then, of course, it's, the verdicts would be in, uh, against the defendant and in favor of the plaintiff. Any questions so far? Now, I, I have a question, and uh, I know a lot of uh, creatives kind of deal with this with uh, entities like Kickstarter and um, that you crowdfund. And I know most recently Kickstarter has now changed it that you have to check more if you are having a risk if you don't get your items. But before they did that, they got a lot of complaints with certain creatives that will crowdfund but never give send out the items that are promised to those people that pledge on certain levels. How does that work legally as far as with something like crowdfunding? Because you have these people putting out hundreds of dollars and there's an example of a creative that's done this multiple times and people have complained about it and that caused Kickstarter to make that checkbox like, all right, you're going to have a risk now if you decide to pledge. You may or may not get your stuff. Yeah. But it's like, all right, but before you did that, we were supposed to get our stuff. How are you going to handle this as a company and make this creative accountable to get this stuff out to, as a business, to these people who paid for it? A sticky situation. You have the, the, they're an intermediary. They're a third party between the two parties. Yeah. They're, obviously, this is an issue. They know it's an issue now that they have a checking box. But at the same time, they need to hold the the actual person holding the crowdfunding uh, the, to the artist, in, in this instance, accountable. So mm -hmm. you, I wouldn't be surprised that uh, in the future, if you see a class action lawsuit where Kickstarter or any type of crowdfunding platform is sued. Yes. And then they'll turn around and see the artists. It's unfortunate. It's I haven't had it already. <laughs> yeah. Keeping our integrity in what we're, we're doing. Mm -hmm. You could just keep their word these days. We wouldn't be here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Great question. These are important questions because uh, you just don't know. Yeah, because the crowdfunding aspect is such a sticky. You have this third party, like you said. That's helping this business or small business or creative raise money to make to get their stuff out to people, and it's like a, a different. I, I call it as like a reverse version of Amazon. You're, it's a third party helping you get your stuff to people, but they're getting the money first before the items is available, uh, like a pre-order kind of aspect. But it's like most people are like, what do I do? Like this. This one person that I'm thinking of, they have, I've heard people like, hey, I funded five of your Kickstarters. haven't received anything in the last three years. This other person is, hey, I haven't got anything. And I'm like, oh, same. I, same person. I'm part of that list. And a lot of people are like, okay, it's a most people are writing off like it's a loss because they said I've complained to Kickstarter, but they're like, they can't do anything. What you can do is send a demand straight to the artist. Guarantee there is. Hey, artist ain't doing anything. What do you say? The business is not doing anything either. They're just like, oh, sorry. They make up excuses, but it's like, it's been three years. It's been five years for some of these people. Some people are saying it's been seven years and we haven't received anything. And I keep messaging you and we're putting it on public boards and. Sometimes you know, it's time to file a complaint with the attorney general of your state mm. so that they can follow up with them personally. Okay. So each yeah. person is the individual state. AG. That's right. Mm. And they'll all talk. So anybody watching this, if you know who I'm referring to, no. you now know what you do. Yeah. Definitely look up the attorney general of your estate in which you reside, because that's where the incident occurred. You purchased it there. That's where the exchange of money happened. And you need to file a complaint. And they're, they're all digital now. You can all go on and virtually file a complaint. Oh, okay. Yeah. So attorney general. And if your state, the AG doesn't handle that, they'll direct you to who does within your state.
Thank you for sharing. That's important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a Ponzi scheme, only it's not financial. It is. It's not because you're waiting for goods to arrive and you have to receive them. Yeah. This one is the persistent issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it's interesting that like Kickstarter has now that checkbox that says, hey, you're accepting liability on this. It's like, why are you not putting it on the person when you are providing a service? You should be going after the person. Say, hey, you made this promise. You got the money you needed. You need to issue out those items as promised. It should protect like the integrity. Other of the side company. is poor with money management and business acumen. So this is sometimes we're our own worst enemy. We really are. You have people that believe in you and are investing in you, and you're pissing it away, and it is and and break. You're ruining your reputation. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. You can't get that back sometimes. I'm so sorry. Okay, so yeah. now this would be this. Let's just use this as an example. So you file suit and you're suing the artist and you want your stuff and they haven't responded. So then you, within a period of time, will get a judgment, a default judgment, and that will be on their credit for 10 years. And any you can go ahead and try to skip trace them and attach it to their bank account if you know where it is or where they live or to their even garnishment out of their wages until you get your money back. But if they do answer and they respond, yes, but this is what happened. I tried to reach out to her. Um, It doesn't matter. It's a lawsuit now. After they respond, it goes into a phase called discovery. And during this uh, phase of discovery, right before trial is where all evidence is produced, is provided to each side, and it's placed into exhibits for trial. And nothing uh, surprise can make it into trial. It needs to be in the trial binder and properly labeled. Uh, this is where depositions occur and recorded statements by all parties. This is where all records are subpoenaed, right? From Kickstarter, whoever else that platform is. And then you'll name expert witnesses. What should have been done in this instance? What could the artist have done? What could you have done? Uh, mostly it's about what the artist, the, the defendant should have done. What is reasonable and what is reasonable care? The standard of care in this environment, specifically the Kickstarters, right? And then you choose your experts. They're deposed and their deposition records are placed into evidence. And then you start to choose the jury at this point. There's a pretrial. There's a mandatory settlement conference. If you still can't reach a settlement at that point, it is slated for trial. Voir dire occurs on the first day of trial. And that's a fancy word for choosing the jury. If you've asked for a jury trial, you can waive it as well, which is a bench trial only goes before the judge. The judge will be the deciding factor. So this is what happens. And then it moves forward with opening statement. Then the witnesses are called. There's, there's a direct examination, cross-examination, and then they deliberate. The, the jury's, uh, jury goes into their room and they have all of their, their trial binders in front of them. They have also court transcripts in which the court uh, reporter has taken during, during the trial. And they can review and they stay in there as long as they need to. And they make a decision on what the liability is, is someone guilty at all? If they are, what percentage did the plaintiff actually harm him or itself during this whole situation? And that's why the defendant is not 100% wholly responsible for all of these damages. So that is the trial of, of the example of trial and how it usually works. Now, with the, like the situation like we were given with Kickstarter, with how would that work with statute of limitation, as you mentioned earlier, like with some of these saying, hey, it's going to take because you're with these Kickstarters, they also supposed to give what the timeline of when you're supposed to get your items. So you may have funded it in 2019, but they're telling you in late 2020 is when you're supposed to get your stuff. But then time has gone on. Now it's 2024. You still haven't got your stuff. You've messaged the person such and such. The statute of limitations still play a part when it's something like a Kickstarter, or is it in a situation like, no, we could still file with the attorney general and it may end up being a class action suit with someone who will be in the file? 
that would then it would move the, the attorney general would then say these are the other people um, that are within the states and it would go into federal court at that point because it, it's sister state action so it's like rico it goes across all the different states it's not just the harm wasn't occurred the situation didn't just occur in one state so that turns it federal and that would be a much better outcome in this instance because mm. people federally use this service yeah so see, in contrast to the Maui survivors, this would actually be a good thing for you. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So once again, everybody who is watching, if you know who I'm referring to, you know what you need to do now. But the statute of limitations at that point, I, I think the AG would be a good person to give uh, an opinion on that. Yeah. Because okay. of the timelines and how they've shifted. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to get into a little bit of um, just some miscellaneous things having to do with law. I hope you find that they are interesting. Yeah. The Constitution of the United States of America is the supreme or highest law of the United States. So the mm -hmm. Constitution, the universal rule of law is a part of the United Nations system. This universal rule of law is the principle of governance in which all persons institutions and entities, public or private, including the state itself or a country, are accountable to laws that are consistent with international human rights norms and standards. So this is human rights focused, which I think is really beautiful. And we're seeing this play out today in several wars that are happening as we're on live here. And they're watching. The UN is watching for standard, consistent, international human rights norms and standards. There are two rights of everyone legally living in the United States. That is the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion. Everyone, citizen or not. A gag order is a court order that prohibits you from talking about a legal matter. This is an attempt to limit discussions that would prevent the parties from having a fair trial. But like I said earlier, with social media, this is nearly impossible these days. The right that is only U.S. citizens, they have. The only right that U.S. citizens have. No one else has it. This is a right of you have to be a citizen is to obviously vote in federal elections. Now, recently, this has been true for states as well. Unfortunately, we are now allowing those that are not citizens to vote in three specific states. So I found that to be very fascinating. Data has showed that California was the most heavily regulated state in the country in 2022. I was recently in Chicago a couple of days ago. Someone called California, Germany in a time where it was highly regulated. So Nazis, and that's really sad. Idaho is the least regulated by laws. If you are going to court, the colors that are best to wear are dark and neutral colors, such as white, navy blue, and gray. We see a lot of heather gray, but charcoal gray is most is usually the best. Black is controversial. It could be almost seen like you're dominant or trying to intimidate, which is really fascinating because I think I only ever wore navy and black. But it's best to avoid, obviously, bright colors. We don't want to walk in there like we're legally wand ever. <laughs> And courtroom etiquette, if you've never been in a courtroom, you are not allowed to bring any food or drink. And when you are inside the courtroom, your phone will be turned silent and put away. You cannot have your phone out during session. And there is absolutely no gum chewing. So goes along with food. And a fun fact, can either of you guess what the most broken law is throughout our states? You do it. I do it. Dana does it. <laughs> Jaywalk. Okay. Speed. That's it? Yes. Okay. Speeding. No surprise that speeding is one of the most commonly broke laws. It's in fact the most common. In fact, roughly 112 people get a speeding ticket every day. And this, yes. this accumulates to 42 million speeding tickets annually oh. in the U.S., 42 million, and 4 million speeding tickets are issued here in California each year. Uh, but Ohio has won the goal for writing the most speeding tickets every year. I can't imagine uh, more than 4 million speeding tickets in Ohio. 
crazy. That is crazy. Wow. Yes. They must have a lot of speed traps or... <laughs> But they must get a lot of people coming through because I know, especially uh, for Georgia, State Patrol gets a lot of people. Yeah, state police. Yeah, state police are crazy. They got them in Illinois, Wisconsin, and Indiana, and they're just, they pull, they're, they're always in and out of their car. They're constantly pulling people over. It's amazing. There is one other, I don't know how much time we have left, but I wanted to say we discussed about having future shows dealing with other matters of law, laws and everything. And so if your audience would love to submit questions for next time, like Mona said, craft what and form what we'll be speaking about. If you could please, if you do submit a request or a question or even a comment, if you could just give me the state in which you reside and what you're asking. And or where the what the situation was, who are the parties, and what really occurred, and I can try to get back uh, to Moana and Dana, and they can send a response, or we can address it on the next show. But I would love to cover breach of contract, what is mediation, family law, including separation, divorce, and support, insurance law, workers' compensation, property law, real estate law, intellectually intellectual property law, and also like we talked about. Um, but next month is really important. It's later this month, actually, we're meeting on estate planning, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why is this so important um, for our Ohana, for ourselves to um, plan for our departure to Po, right? To leave Honua and go to Po and not leaving our Ohana with everything, not just the stickle we have around getting rid of stuff, but like our bank accounts, the pink slip to our vehicle, our heirlooms, especially if we have Ohana that are turbulent. They're, they're turbulent personalities. As soon as someone is going to make that they're going to be a problem. So all of this should be in writing. Let me just tell you this. When it, if you have, you don't have a, a power of attorney for medical care or financial, then let's just do financial, which of course is very important because it pays for your medical care, right? If you're incapacitated or you're no longer in a reasonable state of mind to make health decisions for yourself. This two-page document allows your attorney of record or attorney of fact and then successive second and third if first no longer available to actually care for you in the way that you want to be cared even though you can't speak it. Resuscitation, organ donor, how you wish to be cremated or buried and where. These are very important things, but also do you want your loved one to get a second or third medical opinion? Or is one, one opinion good enough to take you off life support? Oh, is there a resuscitation clause? Do you want to be resuscitated? If so, how many times? And at what point of brain damage do you want to be taken off the tube? So these are all important. But financial, let's just say a loved one passes away. You don't have a financial power of attorney. You're clearly next thing of, of kin. You have uh, that you go to the bank and say, I need to access the funds of my beloved deceased. And they say, who are you? I'm so and clearly you establish you're the family member. Um, there may be even a little note that's not notarized that says you can handle this. They still need the death certificate. So you wait for the death certificate. You bring it back to the bank and you don't have an actual power of attorney. You have to wait 60 days from the time that you turn in that death certificate. You don't need that at that time your loved one needs to be buried or cremated by then there's bills to pay. You've taken off work. You've had to hire babysitters to handle these matters and you are losing money and you have no, you have money that you can access, but you can't get to it. These are situations that are important. And so that's what we'll be covering later on this month is estate planning. Why is it wise, like our Kapuna, to have these conversations? It's hard to talk about, but guess what? Like taxes, it's guaranteed we're going to depart from here. So I did want to leave you with an elite specific legal matter that we're watching in the news today. All of us know the Associated Press reports have been watching the estate distribution of Abigail Kavananakoa, who died a little over a year ago at the age of 96. To some, Abigail is considered to be the last bona fide princess of Hawaii, the daughter of a sugar baron with an estate totaling $250 million. But according to the documents in the, pro- in the public probate case for her estate, $40 million will go to her wife. 
Settlements have also recently been reached with about a dozen other people who had claims, including someone described in the court documents as her Hanai son, which all of us know what that is. It, for those of you that are not Kanaka or unfamiliar with this term, it's referring to something that we have that's an informal adoption of an individual into a family. That's how our Hawaiian culture is, but it wasn't legally bona fide as an adoption. So after all of this and the distributions, we just learned that out of this $250 million estate that Abigail left at her departure, $100 million of that will be left for Native Hawaiian causes. Not nearly enough of what we need, but it's something and it will help. And I just hope that the hands in which they fall into that, it will help greatly with all of our cultural practices. And hopefully some of that will go to Maui. That's what I have for you today. Is there anything else you'd like to cover in this inaugural episode? <laughs> no, this was awesome. It's, I think it was a great start. Um, exactly. That this it's legal. That legal world is so broad, and so many aspects of, of facets with the different areas that you just mentioned. And I think we just needed, like you said, just hit that tip of the iceberg. And then we start diving deeper into those different aspects of, like you said, power, diving into what power attorney is like, how it is to have a medical representative. Not representative. It's it's not living will, but is it a living will? It's the medical that's telling your, whoever you designate can speak for you if you're unconscious. Medical power. Yeah, we'll go over later this month, we'll go over what the difference is between a will and a trust. We'll go over the medical power of attorney and the financial power of attorney. And these are really just what you really need to know about this. Now, taxation is different in every state. California, I think, lowered it to if your estate's $600,000 or more, then you'll be taxed at a different level. And of course, it goes up because California likes to tax us at 49%, it seems. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting thing that you make 1.5 million, literally it was 49% went to the state. So it was crazy. Or maybe it's not 40, it was combined with federals, but 49% of your pay is gone. Yeah. Become a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I think Georgia, if you hit the uh, mega millions, it's like 30, 30 something percent that they get. And that's if you don't, and that's if you choose to be it's your picture taken. If you want to be not disclosed of what you look like, you pay additional fee for that. It would be like my You need to maintain some privacy. Right? <laughs> I don't want everybody looking for me. No. That's why I tell people, I said, see, you need to do, I think it was a coworker of mine at my previous company. She, her boyfriend played all the time and she chose to just do a quick pick. She hit when the Mega Millions was $749 million, the single winner. She was was an accountant at our company, and she was really smart about it. She chose not to quit, but everybody kept coming. They had news reporters that knew where she worked. She wanted to come. So the company had to offer her a severance because of the advice. So she got... I don't like yeah, money. Yeah. But the crazy part is like everybody from work wanted to take her out to get you know, drinks and food to chat with her. And I'm like, have y'all talked to her before all this hot? And now <laughs> so y'all would be mosey. <laughs> but yeah, she ended up with what did it? She already knew how to do it. She said her biggest cost was gonna be paying for her dream wedding. And but other than that. She was like, she was going to handle it. But yeah, she paid her 30%. She chose not to pay that fee for her to be disclosed. Because I think it's like you pay an additional 25% if you want to be undisclosed. So she was like, nah, I pay my, my taxes and uh, get my lump sum. And here I am. And she I was planning to quit my job. And I was like, yeah, you were smart because you got a severance. Because... These damn accountants, man, they are smart. They're pretty yeah. steady. I was like, girl, call me. I need your number. So if I hit, I need a call. <laughs> Here, yeah, do my payout for me. <laughs> but yeah, it's crazy because when you look and I found out like other states have that too, that if you want to be just giving your name, but no 
have to get that picture taken up. They always do for the big um, mega millions and the pad balls that hit the big pot. You have to pay that fee. And there's some states that don't have it. You have to make an appearance if you want to get your check. So it's like very interesting how they still try to get every little bit. <laughs> That's literally giving half. 45%? Is it? No, yeah. 55%. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just like, yep. But she said like before she did claim, because you have so much time that you have to go in and claim it. She was like, I went ahead. She said, I kept, my, which I told her, I kept that information. Uh, she kept her current cell phone number, but had to go to voicemail. She got a new cell phone, gave it to the people who needed to have it. And then she already started moving from her residence, but she had an apartment. So she went ahead and kept that residence until the lease was. <laughs> so people, if they try to come out, she wasn't there. Mark. Mark, very strategic. And she's oh, she, you know, I will go into prenups because she should have had a prenup. That's a question. I want to know if she got, she did a prenup before she got married. <laughs> sorry. Think from the divorce aspect. I'm sorry. You just have mm-hmm. to. I'm a lot of fun, right? That people need to know because so many people, they get excited. You hear people that either have to file bankruptcy because they overspent what they got or you have a situation, prenup in situations that people try to get, they end up getting divorced or whatever and they want their claim to that money. (laughs) That's funny. I'm sure your listeners are like, wow, how does she even have a boyfriend? (laughs) (laughs) They know what they, it's part of that thing. When a guy knows what you offer and what you're about and your boundaries, it's up to him after that. And if he's willing to come into those boundaries, you better stay in those boundaries. (laughs) Have him sign a waiver or something. No, against relational love. (laughs) Check buff. Right. <laughs> a non-disclosure agreement. If we break up, you have signed this non-disclosure agreement. Oh my gosh. I go into that too. There are alternatives to marriage and it's the legal companionship route, domestic relationship where you can actually, I think it's really wise in law now, if you file for that as domestic partnership, you actually have to go through the contract first. Whose dogs, when, Custody, who's leaving the house within a prescribed amount of time? What are you bringing into this? What are you bringing into this? And you're leaving with that. It's this domestic partnership we have today is pretty remarkable. So still romantic. Make it as romantic as you want. But there are no questions. Protect yourself. You know, and you really know you want to be with each other, not because of what someone has or will have soon or lottery winnings, you know, but you're with each other because you want to be. Yeah. Because that was our thing with her. Her and her boyfriend had been together since high school. Over 12 years together. He has not proposed or anything. But after she had that mega million, we were like, "How? let's make a bet on how quick she get it proposed to. Sure enough, she got proposed to within a week. Prina. <laughs> but he didn't want to give you a ring before. And now I'm saying, let's give you a ring. Yeah, freedom. She herself. So I'm hoping. I don't know if she did, but if if you're watching, please message me. You still got my information. Let me know. And you can do it. You can tell her she can have a post nup as well. So we may have to tap into an episode about that because I don't think a lot of people know about post prenup because you don't hear about prenup, but not nuptial. Yeah, it's a post nuptial. Yeah. All right. That's going to be another episode, everybody. <laughs> Make sure to bring the jokes. Everybody. Yes. Yes. Exactly. That's not so fun, but you can still be light about it. And just exactly. Right each step of the way. Exactly. Yeah. Even though it is like when you said before, as y'all know about upcoming episodes, please email us your questions. Or if you're watching this on a replay, send email us your questions at Moana Nui Podcast. That's one word at gmail.com. We'll send it over to Kumu uh, Manu. And then that way she can review it. Also include w- what state and what the situation is. 
regarding your question. And that way she can give you a more informed answer versus a very broad answer. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you, Dana. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kawumaru, for being a part of this. We're looking forward to the next episode of Estate Planning. That is happening next Monday, actually. Yeah, Monday the 15th. Um, On Martin Luther King Day. Yes, we can celebrate that as well. It is then. Yes, absolutely. Time flies. I I know. It's crazy. I'll be halfway through this month already. We'll definitely let y'all know when our other episodes in upcoming months will be. And keep if you're not following us, please follow us on our Instagram and Facebook where we're posting our upcoming episodes. You can know about what the information is and everything. Or also follow and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you can see we have an area where you can see upcoming episodes so you can mm-hmm. see what it is, read what the description is, and and that way you can get also hit that notification button. So we'll notify you as soon as we go live so you don't miss anything. So you can be able to be able to engage <laughs> in the chat and everything with us because we will see them. We will post uh, some of your questions and try to get as many covered as much as possible during our time available. Perfect. All righty, ladies. Great episode. And I'm definitely looking forward to more. So yeah, thanks for everybody for tuning in. Our next show is the January 15th on estate planning. So come on back, bring your questions or just come and learn. Bring a notebook or your, your, I'm I'm old school, so I'm notebook, but for your computer, (laughs) whatever it is you you use to take your notes um, and ask your questions, we definitely welcome them. Alrighty, with that said, sign off. Malama Pona, everybody, take care. Ahoy ho, till we see you again.